Welcome to Japan on Fire 23 on Sabu's Bunny Drop. And the Sabu filmography has been runny, drivey, walky, cycly, as in cycling, boy band wacky, and downbeat, in the case of Dead Run. And with Bunny Drop, he adds another piece to his filmography, just not just another movie, but another piece of versatility, and it's an adaptation of the manga and anime of the same name, also referred to as Usagi Drop. But it distinctly adds the following. A straightforward, family-friendly drama. That's what Sabu has made here. And I'm gonna be with me to offer up our take on this movie and talk of its uh, background a little bit. Here's VCNMAS Coffin John, so good morning over there in another world land. Good morning, Ken. Good to be on the show again. Thanks for inviting me, as usual. Well, you're, you're my go, go-to guy for uh, schooling me on uh, on these things. but And what an education it will be. <laughs> Just kidding, of course. I need, like, uh, cleansing after all my crap that I watch, like, uh, to watch some proper movies. That, that's what Japan on Fire and what's Korean cinema is for. Those two shows are the ones I enjoy doing the most because most of the t- movies chosen are new. And I like that. It's uh, to go in for once new. When we do all the Hong Kong cinema stuff, most of the stuff in 9 out of 10 cases I'm too familiar with almost. So uh, that that's actually a, a cool little feeling despite me choosing uh, Sabu to be the uh, topic of this series, the subject of this series, like most of the movies that I had not seen before. So that's a, a cool little angle for me. Uh, but okay, let's uh, let's get into it uh, and uh, talk some uh, talk some background to Bunny Drop and all of that. But first, some quick contact information. This is Japan on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. Our website is podcastonfire.com, where you'll find other shows on various Asian countries cinema and bonus episodes done by the various uh, show hosts and producers and whatever. And we have done bonus shows every now and again, so check those out too. If you have any questions or feedback, email us at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Leave us a like on our Facebook page that can be located at facebook.com forward slash PUF Network. And follow the update and the chat in our group that we have named Podcast on Fire Network. And that's how you'll find us if you search for it on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at podcastonfire. And when I'm not doing this, I'm writing about Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, wacky ninja movies, and uh, some various adult endeavors as well, mostly from Hong Kong. Uh, but, uh, but I touch upon a variety of genres over at SoGoodReviews.com, and I post small video reviews of my main reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And Japan on Fire is available on iTunes if you choose to follow us that way. Subscribe, and after subscribing, uh, rather, uh, leave a star rating and uh, even a small written comment about what you think of the show. We would love to hear sincere, constructive comment, good or bad. I can take it. I'm not frail at all. Uh, But uh, let's... uh, Oh, by the way, if you don't uh, have space on your device, uh, you can stream us on Stitcher Radio, either via their website or the applications can be used uh, that are available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So let's jump over to you, John. You're still involved on uh, with V Cinema, of course. So uh, for listeners who do not know, let's uh, throw out the URL and a quick summary of uh, what you do over there, other than reviewing uh, Sabu movies every now and again. Well, V Cinema is a uh, Asian film blog. Mainly, uh, we have uh, film reviews, but uh, we do have some uh, discussion and some features and whatnot. Um, we're located at vcinemashow.com. That's S-H-O-W. You can also find us on Twitter at, uh, v, at vcinemashow. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for vcinema. 
that's as we're fairly limited in our uh, presence, but uh, you know, uh, I, I think that definitely there's uh, plenty of stuff uh, to check out. You know, limited in presence, but not limited in content. I guess is what is what I was uh, trying to retort right there. But uh, anyway, yeah, we're located vcinemashow.com. Check us out. Uh, as far as podcasting goes, um, you know, actually, I wanted to mention that uh, probably you mentioned all already. Besides uh, me being here on Japan on Fire. We have uh, Josh, who is uh, sort of the um, webmaster at, over at V-Cinema. He's on one of your shows too, right, Ken? Yes, our This Week in Slee show focusing on uh, adult uh, Hong Kong movies mainly. Right, so I just wanted to make sure to mention that, even though I sh- I'm sure you mentioned that on on uh, This Week in Slee's anyway. So um, so V-Cinema has a, a little more presence than uh, than what I'm uh, letting on to that we have. It's like a classy inclusion when we mention it on this week in Sleeves. Like uh, we're in the we're in the muck and mud and sleeves and smell, and then V Cinema comes ah like the class ar- arise. <laughs> it cleanses the world, right? And that's why we only mention it mention it quickly because me and George likes to be in, in the sleeves and the trash and the and the mud and the smells. So like V Cinema is great, but now we're diving into these. These smelly, these smelly things. But hey, that's what we do. Uh, Alrighty, let's uh, check those links out in the show post. And uh, first of all, I'd like to give you a rundown of what's to come here. Because as per usual, almost every show, we have a couple of sections to get through before the movie review. And each section is noted with a timestamp in the show post, on the website that is. And that will turn up in, for instance, the iPhone podcast application if you download the show. It doesn't work when you stream it, but when you have downloaded the show, if you tap the show out, that will reveal the description of the show and therefore the running times will be there in front of you as well. So you can jump to any section if you so prefer. But but what this episode will contain is therefore a recap again of Sabu's biography and some of our views on the movies we've covered so far. But it's an extended look too, as we'll bring you up to speed uh, talking of his current credits and projects because when we started the series there was a movie that was not completed yet and i don't think it even had maybe didn't have an an official english title anyway so we'll we'll do a little follow-up if you will this uh, after all that is done we are going to talk of uh, bunny drop or usagi drop it's a manga and anime background as well as some tidbits on the making of the movie and then we conclude the episode with our review of Sabu's Bunny Drop is live action adaptation. So that's that. Let's dive into it. Bunny Drop is from 2011 and plot. I've taken that from the isogoi.com review of the film and it goes as follows. 27 year old Daikichi played by Kenichi Matsuyama is a single young man who is trusted by his peers at work. Daikichi then attends his grandfather's funeral and at the funeral the attendees learn that his grandfather bore, bore an illegitimate daughter with an unknown mother. The girl's name is Rin, played by little Mana Ashida, and she's just six years old. And everybody in Daikichi's family looks at the girl as an embarrassment and wants no part of her. He, however, is annoyed by his family's attitude and decides to raise Rin by herself. Daikichi has no experience in raising a child and soon learns the difficulties in raising a child as a single parent. So that's that, and we'll get back to the review and all of that uh, after the whole background is done on the movie, and also Sabu himself, because we don't do these shows uh, frequently, so uh, that's why we'd like to remind you a little bit about Sabu and who he is, so 
we'll, we'll do a shortened version of his uh, biography. It's kind of the last one it will do because the next episode in the series is next week. So we'll uh, hopefully you'll have this biography fresh in your memory when we do that. When we do it, rather. As you probably remember, he's an actor and director. He started out as an actor, and his uh, real name isn't Sabu. It's uh, Hiroyuki Tanaka, but goes under the name or pseudonym Sabu, which was a nickname he got working on one of his first movies called Sotobansuki, which was all the way back in 1986. I don't remember when the year he was born, but he should have appeared fairly young in that movie. But uh, he appeared in a few more other movies uh, along the way in the 90s, but made a transition to director in 1996 through Dangan Runner, which is also known as Non-Stop. And established through that movie and his second movie, Postman Blues, uh, this, these elements of uh, quirky humor, action, and even drama within those films. Like, it's a very filled and uh, wild and... Uh, you know, multi-mood experience uh, kind of deal there with uh, a few of his movies. Definitely the first two. More stronger stronger conveyed in the second one, Postman Blues. And again, to quote the Wikipedia bio, which I think does this um, his style uh, justice uh, in a way, his movies are propelled by characters who hurtle headlong through squirming narratives steered more by the forces of incidents and coincidence than the actions of the protagonists themselves. End quote. And Sabu has had a fairly long career, so he's not been doing this wild style constantly and this mixture constantly, but it's something he is associated with and tends to return to, you know, every few movies. So it's not something that he left behind in the 90s. Uh, and it's a mix I think he does well, um, because uh, I described, for instance, the first movie as a very Dungan runner, that is, as a very confident, oddball, dry movie with a little drama thrown into these somewhat absurd circumstances. Uh, those circumstances have been a lot of running in this case. And his even better second movie, Postman Blues, was my quote about that was bigger, longer, more expansive and very sabu, which is a welcome. In a sec- subsequent episode, we covered his movies Monday and Blessing Bell. Monday being when all is said and done. I can give you this. Uh, it's not so much of a spoiler, but when all is said and done, Monday is still my favorite sabu movie. This it's this unhinged, out of this world, wild time that is both quirky, dry, hilarious, and even haunting, and has a possible message about uh, about a few things, but possibly it does not at the same time. That's uh, up to you to interpret, but it's uh, a lot of fun. And Blessing Bell slowed things down considerably. There was no running, no driving, no cycling, but rather a lot of walking and very little dialogue to support that. As our main character has this day of experiences and an awakening while walking. And it's a good little film in its own right, a, rewar- a rewarding film even. Last uh, few episodes we covered, uh, among other things, a movie called Dead Run, and that shook things up considerably with a very, because it had a very dark, gloomy atmosphere about it. Uh, it's a bit, a bit of an overlong drama about a young character and his family falling apart, essentially. A lot of religious themes in there. It is quite good and affecting, but... Uh, it diverges on a bit bit on the nose in spots, as uh, John quite uh, explained quite well in the episode, uh, the last uh, episode, uh, or uh, two episodes back, I think. But it was an adaptation, and so was the subsequent movie we covered, Kani Corson, about an uprise against unfair treatment on board a crab cannery ship. So those were kind of themes as well, that he's, uh, he's uh, uh, adopted uh, novels and even uh, uh, manga material. That was my least favorite movie so far, uh, Candy Course, and uh, it uh, was this uneasy, un- uneasy, unnatural balance between quirky comedy and drama. It, it done that well before. This time, it simply 
did not work. So that that's how I summarize his career uh, by talking specifically of the movies. But how do you want to talk about Sabu, like starting from Dangan Run up to this point, uh, whether you touch on the specific movies or not? So so the floor is yours. Uh... Well, I think as a whole, so far, uh, my favorite of his films is Postman Blues. And I, I think that sort of reflects actually the general consensus of uh, his work so far among at least Japanese people. Because, you know, again, I've been trying to dig here and there and try to find, you know, some information about him, how um, his fellow countrymen feel about him. and Trolling, essentially? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, fuckheads, talk about Sabu. <laughs> exactly. But um, it seems that Postman Blues is probably his, uh, his most well-known film. It's the one I would recommend to people to start with. Like, I'm my, I, I like Monday, but it's such an out-there time that you, I, I think you used the word exhaustive. When when you liked it, of course, but it is an exhausting movie. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I recommend I would recommend starting with Postman Blues. I think it's his most solid film. But uh, you know, that's not to say the air films aren't worth it. Aren't worth checking out. Of course, I, I think um, as you mentioned, Connie Coulson is probably my least favorite of his. But you know, with that said, though, um, one thing that you mentioned at the beginning of this episode is you know his versatility, which you know. You know, at, at once, I think if you look at his older films, you can definitely say, you know, oh, well, he's just an action comedy director, you know. And I think to a certain degree, he's been already lumped into that mold. Mm. But, you know, with these subsequent films that have been released uh, since, um, you know, since the uh, Mondays and and the uh, Postman Blues and whatnot, I think he's he does show a lot of versatility. You know, whether it's as successful as his his action comedies is, you know, probably something that's worth discussion, and, you know, that's why we're here, obviously. You know, the fact that he has such versatility, I, I think really looks well for, you know, the future, you know, because he has a film coming out, which we've alluded to in uh, the past few episodes, uh, called The the Journey of uh, Chaske, if, if I remember correctly, is the, um, is the English title. And that looks actually a little more in the vein of his earlier films, a little more action comedy oriented. You know, who knows, you know, what will happen in the future with Sabu. You know, maybe, you know, he's done, it seems like, kind of every kind of film that you do with in modern Japanese cinema now. You know, maybe he's due for a classic. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. You know, it's, it's certainly shown that, uh, you know, his filmography, excuse me, has certainly shown that he has the chops for uh, different kinds of films. And I'm really curious to see uh, what happens in the future. And, and by the way, just uh, um just so we uh, get the right information, he was born in 1964, so that makes him around about 20 years uh, old. Uh, during uh, 20, 22 years old when he f- first started acting, approximately. Right. So he's around like what, 50 now. Yeah, 51 this year, I guess. Yeah. Doesn't look it. He looks pretty pretty healthy and still like yeah. uh, that's a distinct Sabu. Distinct Sabu look. That sounds dumb, but you you <laughs> you know he, he has a distinct face. He's not an ugly man, but yeah. no wonder he. Uh, acted you know and still does every now and again that that, that face is going to make an impression in some way you know which i'm sure still sounds horrible but there you are <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna kick your ass someday. oh well he could i'll i'll in a millisecond i'll i'll, I'll go into a fetal position like uh, with anyone so but but you know speaking of that just a very minor very minor 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 tangent i mean the most exposure he's gotten as an actor I would say, if we're talking slightly recent times, is his supporting role in Ichi the Killer. Do you remember if he made, like, a great impression in that one, or does he, like, uh, does the violence overshadow his performance? 
he's always been more of a side character except for in a world apartment horror in which he was the the lead yeah i guess you know like like you said he's face is distinctive but he i wouldn't say he makes like a real great impression each of the killer i mean you i guess you could certainly pick him out over any of the other side actors that were um in that film but you know i wouldn't say that uh i wouldn't necessarily sign him up to be a lead for a film just because of uh just because of Ichi the Killer. <laughs> On a, another minor tangent, and this might be cut out. There is a Takashi Miki movie called Sabu. Is that also a term of some kind? Because it, it doesn't star Sabu, and uh, it, like, so it could, could that be like a word or a term that fit, or would that fits that movie anyway? Uh, Takashi Miki Sabu. Well, you know what? I don't remember actually seeing that film. I remember it was a TV. It was actually a TV movie because um, I remember seeing the advertisement for it on TV when I lived in Japan. That was like early 2000s. I think it's just probably just the name of the lead character. That's my guess. I don't I don't think it has any particular significance. But the funny thing is that, you know, I knew about that, uh, that film, Sabu, before I knew about the director. Or I sort of knew about the director a little bit, you know, and probably like, like you, I kind of associated the two. It's like, you know, is he like writing a film about himself or something, you know, like, you know, I thought there was some, maybe some connection and then it took a while for me to realize, Oh, wait a second, just some guy using a name. So I, I think it's, it's probably just the name of the character. In fact, I'm looking at IMDB right now and it is the name of the, of the character in the film. So that's, that's why has that um, title. Anyway, we add a little to the biography uh, to bring you up to the current going on. of uh, Sabu outside the last, um, the, well, rather after well, not really that too. We're going to cover something before and something after the last movie in this series that we are going to cover. And uh, because the next episode is uh, the 2013's Miss Zombie, and that's where we end the coverage. But uh, what he did uh, in and around 2010 was ventured into TV. He wrote and directed a little TV series called Trouble Man, which was broadcast uh, in 12 episodes between spring and summer that uh, same year, 2010. And it was sold by TV Tokyo as, and this is the quote that I pulled from their advertising materials or their plot sum, sum, summary. So, quote, one day all of a sudden a, a trouble befalls one man, or trouble befalls one man. That trouble snowballs into bigger troubles, one by one pulling everyone around him in. A Yakuza being chased by another Yakuza, a mysterious woman who has been attacked, an otaku man with some sort of power, a hitman who has lost his memory, and an old landlord you can't miss even a second of the shocking confessions made by the residents of this apartment a mystery upon another mystery this is an intricately woven story when all the pieces of the puzzles are put together you will experience something you have never experienced before <laughs> and uh, oh, oh oh by the way i'm not even done there's, there's a tons more they believe in this shit a new experience will be felt through this fast-paced story <laughs> so this is a serious comedy that will draw you in tv tokyo they when they believe in their product they're gonna let us know <laughs> in one paragraph so that's that but you know what i didn't see this series you took the plunge N- not that i disliked it beforehand but i i kind of thought like hey why not let john handle it in case it isn't subtitled either so you took the plunge and sought out the series and uh, watched uh, either part of it or all of it so the floor is yours what's the impressions of it based on whatever number of episodes you watched of trouble man okay actually i watched all 12 episodes i just, I just 
I just took the plunge deep in, so I figured, what the hell. If we, again, talk about Sabu's uh, filmography as being like his early kind of more uh, action comedy oriented stuff, his more you know, versatile stuff, you know, again, that's not really a fair assessment of his uh, filmography, but let's, let's just say there's two, let's just posit that, uh, that Sabu has two sides, the action comedy side and the more, you know, versatile, you know, more, uh, I guess you could say, um, mature type of side of him i would say that would much fall in the more the earlier stuff you know trouble man is very much oriented towards uh, action comedy and it has all the if you could say this all those sabu characteristics of a film so it has has the running (laughs) a lot of running a lot of action um there's a lot of visual gags some of which are more successful than others um there's the awakening you know i think uh TV Tokyo alludes to this as, you know, all the characters make these confessions about their lives, some of which are under um, are under uh, hypnotism. So, you know, it's kind of a interesting mix of uh, elements uh, as far as the story goes. But uh, anyway, so there's, you know, a lot of comedy orient- orientation. There's a lot of um, there's a, these awakenings as to, you know, just like several of the other films that we've seen of his where the characters seem so disparate in how they're connected. I mean, we know from the description that TV Tokyo has given us that, you know, they basically all live in the same apartment complex. But it turns out, you know, through some, you know, universal fate or destiny that they they are actually connected by some, you know, threads and strings. And Slowly, you know, just like, um, as, as I said, some of his earlier films, you know, Sabu basically kind of peels back that onion, you know, little by little. And then we figure out at the core, you know, how these people are really connected. If I were to review this as a film or as a film in, in his filmography, I would say it's, um, you know, if I had to be really kind of um, critical about this uh, TV show's assessment, I'd say it's more like Sabu light, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, the reason why I say this is because I think the writing and the directing is fine, but I think, unfortunately, the show is saddled down by a lot of uh, problems revolving both the medium of television as well as the performances uh, the performances are, let me tackle that first, is that the performances are kind of uneven. I mean, we do have some um, some of Sabu's uh, actors that he uses often. So, for example, Susumu Terajima is in the, in the TV show as well as Ren Osugi. There are some other TV or comedy-oriented actors in there. I recognize, for example, Papaya Suzuki, who's kind of a famous Japanese comedian. I think the leads are not as strong as you'd want. So, for example, I think the lead actor, uh, his name is uh, Shigeaki Kato, and he kind of plays a role that in earlier Sabu films would have gone to Shinichi Tsutsumi, you know, who we've talked about, you know, in Postman Blues. And he doesn't have the same level of physical and comedic timing, you know, that's required of the role, unfortunately. So whereas, you know, Tsutsumi came across as really, you know, an integral part of Postman Blues in a lot of Sabu's earlier films, you know, I think that with Trouble Man, you know, Kato uh, or Shigeaki Kato is kind of, kind of feels like someone who's put on the project, you know, not to say that he wasn't, you know, it's maybe unfair because, you know, it's two different kinds of product. It's movie and TV, plus it's, you know, two different kinds of actors who have two different levels of, uh, 
you know, acting education and whatnot. But I, I kind of felt that, you know, just the performance in general was a little weak and, and not, not just his, I think a lot of the, the main uh, actors in the film were uh, in the TV show, excuse me. Um, most of those performances were also uh, relatively weak. Are we talking like uh, he's a lead of every show or does the show focus on different leads uh, and then come back to him or what's the deal on that? On each episode, I mean, everyone's in all the whole cast is in, is in each um, episode, but each episode will focus on the story of one particular character. To go back to what I was mentioning about, uh, you know, the weakness of the uh, show in that it's, you know, a TV show and not a film is that, you know, I think there's a problem with timing because this is a these are half hour episodes. You know, if you total that up, that's about, let's say, five, five and a half hours, right? As opposed to a film Don't where, you know, me to do math, coffee two job. hours. Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> what was I thinking? Anyway, so um, so when you think about it, you know, writing a two-hour film or one-and-a-half-hour film, you know, it's a lot different from writing a five, five-and-a-half-hour piece, I guess you could call that. You know, whereas the film, you know, you have to – I don't want to say you, but uh, in, in film form – Sabu has, I think, maintained very tight, you know, even though, you know, we have lots of different elements in this, in his stories and lots of different characters who are sort of colliding into, you know, one big, you know, sort of revelation or, or awakening is the word you've used. The TV show, I think, because of the length of it in total, I think there's a lot more looseness to it. I mean, all the loose ends get tied up, but I think the problem is that there's too much time that's spent on certain stories and while some are successful, relatively speaking, uh, some aren't. So, you know, that that's the problem, I guess. You know, it's just like watching like an anthology show, I guess, you know, like uh, Tales from the Crypt or something or, or um, Twilight Zone, you know. You might like the show as a whole, but you know that there are weak episodes and there are really strong episodes. And, of course, the strong episodes are the ones that that stand out the most. But the weak ones will be like, oh, I can skip that part, you know what I mean? Which is kind of a problem with that show. I, I have the same problem with a lot of TV shows. And I guess, you know, part of the problem, I think, is the way that I watch the show, too, is that, you know, I watch the basically 12 ep- episodes in a row and didn't leave much time, you know, space in between. So I think over, you know, the course of whatever, 12 weeks, maybe the show would make more sense, you know, because you have a different sense of time, you know, you've kind of forgotten certain characters. And then, you know, by watching the subsequent episode, you might be drawn back into, you know, their story, you know, just, you know, just because so much time has passed in between episodes. So that might be, you know, kind of my problem, so to speak. But I think just the the medium of TV itself didn't lend well to a really good tight Sabu project, you know. Not not to mention some of the you know special effects. The visual effects are not really that tight. You know, overall, I think it's worth checking out if you're into Sabu. But you know, I wouldn't expect something as good as you know Postman Blues or Monday or you know some of that the earlier uh, action comedy oriented uh, films that uh, we have discussed and enjoyed uh, in earlier episodes. But yeah, and I assume like uh, if you really want to conclude the story, you have to watch the 12 episodes. They're not uh, standalone episodes, uh, I gather. Right. No, they're not stand. I mean, they're standalone in that I guess you could, I mean, like I said, they sort of like each episode kind of focuses on one character, but if you really want to tie everything together, you'd have to watch the entire thing. Really. If the ending credits theme song drives you crazy, not my fault, bro. 
It's uh, okay. My tastes are not uh, refined at all, so so I I shouldn't judge. But uh, hey, no. In this case, you can judge. Right on. Right on. <laughs> This isn't available officially, I gather, with English subtitles. I, I gather that you did find a, a subtitle copy, but it is fan subtitled, so it's unofficially English subtitled. That's correct. But actually, the translation was pretty good. I was really surprised. A um, couple of odd points here and there, awkward points, I should say, uh, here and there. But surprisingly, they really, I think, uh, whoever this, this fan sub person was, uh, really kind of captured the feeling of certain scenes perfectly. Well, that's what I always admire about that part of the film community, and uh, there's not often that you admire the film community, or the film community can be so crappy towards each other and forget the love for film, in this case TV, but the the Japanese community has always, um, to me, like, there's good people, subtitle movies that are definitely not coming to the West for whatever reason, or uh, or just uh, improving it, or what have you, and and, uh, and sharing the work with uh, with the world because uh, many of them seem to believe in uh, sharing the fun of like uh, people people need to see like a very you know very sabu movies are fan subtitled because we we've established that not a lot of them are available subtitled on DVD, and if they are available, there's no subtitles. But mostly they're unavailable because they're out of print. So right. uh, it's it's that problem uh, too. So so kudos to um, to the fan sub community for even going to the trouble of subtitling. Trouble man. Uh, oh my god. Thinking on my feet here. I didn't even write that. <laughs> nice talking you can by. Um, yeah, yeah. But hey, let, let's be honest. A lot of shitty people in the Japanese film community too. In the Hong Kong too, and in the American one, and the Swedish too. Like everywhere, people are way too crappy towards each other. And, and all of that, but uh, hey, that's uh, that's their problem and not mine. But but hey, good on you for um, for sharing sharing uh, your views on Trouble Man, and uh, uh, I might uh, try it out there. But uh, it's not a priority at uh, this point anyway, uh, and it doesn't feel incomplete the coverage of my experiences with Sabu if I exclude it for the time being. So uh, well, I'll 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 drop into it. Um, Sometime in the future. This wasn't my intention, but hey, speaking of drop, money drop, and uh, Miss Zombie followed, and uh, we'll we'll get to those uh, obviously in the main reviews, but we'll jump to the latest completed feature that wasn't completed when we uh, started this series last year, because we hinted at something being done under the banner of Office Kitano which is Takashi Kitano's uh, production company. And in our first uh, episode of the series, uh, that was uh, the hint that was dropped, and the, resu- the result, many months later, is Chasuke's Journey, which is slated for release in June 2015. It's the last uh, day of May, so I don't know, it may open June 1st. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure it's a weekend opener. opener. But yeah, next month at the time of recording, Chasuke's Journey, Sabu's latest movie, is due to open in Japan. You can't really gauge how it's going to turn out via the trailer, and I rarely can with any movie. That's why I don't trust trailers, really. But it looks colorful. It looks wacky. It looks... I don't know if it's fair to say very Japanese. It just seemed very um, uh, loud and uh, fairly out there and uh, colorful. So, but, but I couldn't really gauge, gauge like what is uh, what the hell is going on here. Not sure it even had subtitles uh, in English uh, that trailer. But uh, Sabu uh, have cast prior cast favorites in this movie as well in uh, either supporting role or small role, uh, such as Susumu Terajima and Ren Usugi. And as the lead character of Shasuke, you alluded to this because I don't know these things. The lead actor Kenichi Matsuyama, also the star of Bunny Drop, is a big name to have in your 
at least popular to have in your lead role. Uh, and uh, I don't know if his skills personally, but apparently he broke through as the character of L in the Death Note franchise. But that's as much as I know of this uh, fairly young actor's uh, credits. I've seen Matsuyama in uh, several films that actually have made their way west. And um, he's been a fairly good, versatile, very, of course, very much a pop-oriented, direct, um, excuse me, pop-oriented actor. So he's been in films like... Uh, like stuff that's been released here, for example, Taste of Tea, Linda, 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 Death Note, as you mentioned. He was also in uh, Detroit Metal City, Kamui Gaiden, which is sort of like a samurai film. So he's been actually in quite a few films that have been released um, outside of Japan, which is really good. Uh, so we've, I think we've gotten a pretty decent overview of his career. He's not, uh, you know, he's definitely a commercial actor and he's pretty popular. I think he's actually a pretty decent comedic actor. You know, maybe not quite on the level as, you know, Tsutsumi, who we've um, talked about in uh, Sabu's earlier films. But, um, you know, I think what's happening now is he's moving away from being, you know, kind of more like a young adult sort of um, actor to becoming, you know, to being in these more mature roles, which is kind of interesting because um, I think he's definitely got the face for it. (laughs) I mean, that's part of the reason why he's popular obviously i haven't really seen a film of his that has really really impressed me i guess some people might uh remember that he was in um the recent uh, adaptation of uh haruki murakami's uh, norwegian wood i didn't really like that film very much but i think some people might see that as being his strongest dramatic role so far but again, you know, just like I can say about Sabu, I guess, you know, it's like, you know, you just look to the future and say, you know, well, he's got, it seems like he had a, he's got a pretty good foundation. Maybe he can become something, you know, much better. And so they, uh, still, still a young guy, maybe approaching his 30s and it seems uh, dedicated to his craft. So there's plenty of room, hopefully, to develop. Uh, the IMB, IMDb summary, by the way, for Chasuke's journey goes as follows. A fantasy love story that drifts between this world and heaven. Chasuke, played by Kenichi Matsuyama, is in charge of making tea in heaven. He has feelings for a human woman named Yuri, played by Ito Ono, whom he has seen from a writer who is scripting her life from heaven. He knows that Yuri is condemned to die in a car accident. Car accident. To save the woman, Chasuke goes down to this world. Pieces of it sound familiar from other stores uh, in the West. Not saying it's a rip off. It's one of those like, hmm, yeah, but... Kind of semi heard of that before, but why not? Why not? Right, right. I, I was kind of trying to think of a film like that, but um... it reminded me a it reminded me a t- tiny, t- tiny bit of the t- of the premise of the TV series Pushing Daisies, but uh, that that's like a very, very tiny bit. <laughs> hey, uh, also, I should add that uh, this film is. I'm not too sure if it's the film is based on the book or the book is based on the film, but. Um, it's based on, let's just say it's based on the book uh, written by Sabu. So it looks like, um, yeah, so, you know, again, we see Sabu's versatility, not only just a, a screenwriter, but actually, you know, to be honest, I, I kind of remember, yeah, that's right. Drive was actually um, based on his own story, too. Well, it seemed very him. Sort of like, hmm, what do I like? I like people who runs and cycles and walks. Now I'm going to write about people who drive. That's good. That's me. <laughs> okay. It, it remains to be seen what Sabu is bringing in here because the trailer, I mean, any trailer 
can't really sell me. Mostly small independent American movies. Uh, those trailers get me a better clue of what's going on here. But this really uh, didn't say anything to me at all other than, okay, that's how it kind of looks like, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows if he's bringing his preferred style of comedy, if he's breaking new ground for himself. You know, uh, reviews are bound to start uh, trickling in. And uh, who knows if he'll, he'll get a, um, an English subtitled version uh, this year or next year, um, uh, or if it, if it is friendly to other parts of Asia or friendly to the West, but uh, the, the greater chance uh, for an English subtitled version will come through a Taiwanese or a Hong Kong uh, DVD and Blu-ray, I would say. Uh, but uh, there's also, by the way, a 2015 listing for a TV miniseries with the English title Panic In. But when I did my research, there was no additional info available. But it seems like he's uh, also... Uh, Working on uh, more TV, uh, this time a miniseries. Uh, so that's that. But let's bring it back to Bunny Drop. And uh, this has, you know, both a manga, anime, and movie production background to talk of a little bit. Uh, and again, it's a 2011 production and drama based on the manga of the same name, referred to as Bunny Drop or Usagi Drop. And as you told me off air, this is uh, d- Japanese word Usagi is either bunny or rabbit. So correct. That's where it comes from. It was written and illustrated by Yumi Umita. And it is described as a Josei manga, which is, according to info out there, a manga aimed at women in their late teens slash early adulthood. And the word Josei, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm mispronouncing it, it simply means women. Female. Yeah, girl. So, so it isn't really like a pure manga term or anything. No, no, that's a, that's a, that's a general term, yeah. And uh, the plot, as the movie plot also alluded to, follows uh, 30-year-old uh, Daichi, or, uh, who becomes a guardian of little Rin, the illegitimate daughter of his grandfather. And the manga was serialized in the Japanese magazine Feel Young between 2005 and 2011. And as expected, uh, because of that time span, uh, several uh, releases uh, in uh, volumes uh, collected all the works uh, of during the serialization or... After it was done, uh, it was actually licensed in English by Yen Press. And uh, just before the live action movie by Sabu was released, Production IG, which is the production company behind several of uh, Mamoru Oshii's anime projects, they produced an ad, an anime adaptation running 11 episodes, which was also released on uh, disc, uh, both DVD and Blu ray, I believe, in the US by NIS America. It also had a spin-off manga series, uh, also by uh, uh, Umita, called Usagi Drop Bangayan, that also ran in the mentioned magazine Feel Young from 2011 in July to December that year, and it was eventually published in one volume only, collected all the works that way. So that point in 2011 was, was really bunny drop craze, seemingly. They just poured them out there. Like, if that's a good thing or not, if it was if it was oversaturation in the eyes of the fans, then I don't know. But uh, it's uh, popular enough, obviously, to uh, to warrant uh, spin-offs and a movie. And the uh, video games often come up during our discussions, and this time as well, as uh, some characters out of bunny drop appeared in a downloadable content pack for the PS Vita game Touch My Katamari released in 2012. The premise of the game is that you roll a sticky ball, the Katamari itself, over objects and it grows in size and you need to reach a specific size within a time limit. I think I've seen gameplay of this. This sounds very familiar. Yeah, it's actually a really fun game. Well, the original one was really fun. The subsequent ones are kind of like a little bit same old, same old. 
As for the critical reception of the manga, it struck a chord with some critics saying it was a heartfelt drama and a slice of life comedy with straightforward art and storytelling. Moving and amusing and well-conveyed small moments of parenthood were positives that the manga received as well. And that brings us to the live-action movie. Phil Young broke the news in 2010 about uh, the live-action adaptation uh, that was coming up uh, to be directed and co-written by Sabu. His other writer was uh, uh, writer Tamio Hayashi, who apparently wrote Fish Story. It sounds familiar, so it must be a fairly fairly prolific movie. And the cast announcement followed, uh, including uh, the said Death Note star Kenichi Matsuyama. And surprisingly, the movie was reportedly shot in only one month, starting from July 21st and ending 30 days later, or approximately 30 days later, in August. And Sabu even mentioned that he didn't start shooting with a finished or fully prepared script. To He wanted to get some fresh, natural reactions from his actors. And the rest of the staff was made were made aware of this just shortly before filming began began so that that's a risky move but i guess if you have some you know pull in the industry uh, and within a production i guess you can pull off such a risky move uh, because you can't go in like blind in, <laughs> in like and uh, uh, onto a movie set like that but um apparently he could and that was acceptable uh, like they didn't send him home to write the full script and then come back so some rehearsal of the scenarios uh, were done with uh, some of the side cost uh, but there was no like fully fleshed out dialogue to learn beforehand uh, so they had to be a bit more um, not to improvise but to um be open to ch- change up dialogue on the spot and not adhere to a very strictly written script so uh, that's a that's an interesting experiment that you did, didn't expect necessarily from this movie because it's not one of these uh, like experimental movies or anything it opened uh, on the subsequent year the 20th of august 2011 the popular pop-punk duo Puffy Amayumi provided the theme song, which was actually used on the uh, TV series uh, as well. And as is commonplace, this was yet another Sabu movie to hit the festival circuit, with the Shanghai International Film Festival hosting its festival premiere. And it had uh, a word of mouth, seemingly, as all six screenings um, at uh, in Shanghai for uh, during the festival, which... Uh, or like 3,000 seaters, they were all sold out in the end. And as for performance in Japan, it opened at number 9 during its weekend, uh, which meant uh, about 800,000 uh, uh, people uh, attending the movie, and uh, in the end, about 100 million yen nationwide as box office. So, so I might as well ask you that. Uh, it sounds like a medium hit, but do you know spontaneously if, that, if those are good numbers, medium, or even considered flop-like numbers? I would say it's like um, maybe average, maybe a little above average. Um, I think, I guess to put a little perspective, 100 million yen is about 800,000 US dollars. So, you know, that's not great. I mean, for Japanese film, I think like a hit Japanese film makes about double that approximately, you know, maybe a little bit more. Um, A hit, you know, non-Japanese film can make, you know, infinitely a lot more i mean if you think of something like titanic which had the super long run in japan you know as well as you know revivals here and there you know i mean that that i would say that film probably made like 200 times that amount (laughs) not bad i guess you know not i mean number nine on the charts that's if you can break the charts in general i mean maybe it might be seen as a little bit of a disappointment since it it came from a uh adaptation of a manga that was 
you know, pretty popular, but... Uh, Maybe his most uh, profitable movie, who knows? I, I don't have the numbers for the other movies uh, as such, so who knows? Maybe when all of a sudden done, this was his biggest hit, uh, despite not being a top, top, top free hit or anything. Plus, another thing you got to remember is that, you know, Japanese films... You know, it's I think it's more of the DVD rental market being, you know, a little more important because, I mean, the number of theaters is starting to decrease in Japan and the interest to actually go to the theaters is kind of um, has been pretty much tempered by, you know, things like television and, you know, video, uh, online video, I should say, streaming stuff, you know. So, you know, a lot of people just don't go to the movie theaters very much anymore in, in Japan, unfortunately. Uh, all right, we're into the review, and for my quick opinion of Bunny Drop, uh, it stumbles in a few places, but otherwise it's, to me, a very sweet, sincere, and touching family drama that shows Sabu largely stepping back from prior wildness to tell a simple story. Like, it's mostly sans and his stylistic and quirky inclusions, so that's my short opinion for now. What do you think in short of uh, Bunny Drop? I thought that as far as the treatment of the license goes, um, I think it was successful for the most part. Have you seen, by the way, any um, any episodes of the of the anime? I forgot to ask. Her. I did not watch any of the anime. I, I read a uh, I read a couple of the uh, volumes of the manga. You know, the two have similarities, of course, and there are some differences as well, especially in how the characters are portrayed. You know, as a whole, you know, as a commercial film, you know, something just to go out and watch and enjoy. It was okay. You know, nothing great. You know, I I certainly wouldn't suspect that Sabu had done the film. You know, obviously, you know, we've gone through his filmography and we know like what kind of work he's done in the past, you know. You know, knowing that he's done it, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I know you just asked for a, an abbreviated uh, opinion of the film, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that um you know earlier in one of the earlier episodes i had mentioned that in some of uh some early interviews with sabu he had mentioned that he'd never want to do a manga adaptation that not that it was beneath him but it was just it was not interesting to him you know yeah yeah i think he was referring to the fact that they were like taking the easy way into mm-hmm. movie production by just um picking a manga uh, but right. it seems like his choices have been more like he didn't pick the first one they presented plus the money like thank you thank you thank you i will do a good job bosses no it it seemed more thought out uh, than that but you know to tell you the truth you know i mean he you know he co-wrote the film as you mentioned and the film is pretty by the numbers even by the standard of the um of the manga itself of course the the manga is it's a much longer story you know but he basically kept with you know the kind of you know as you call them feel good moments and didn't um go into you know some of the darker moments of the of the manga again i haven't read the whole thing but you know i have a i have a cliff notes version that i i looked at because i don't want to go through the entire the entire set you know a uh, six year run after all it's bound to be a few pages to go through all right exactly that is a good point actually and one i didn't the person in mind that it is pretty is simple and approachable, approachable and very general. I, I think mm-hmm. that that still came with. Like, it didn't hugely like affect me, but I thought like this is well executed and even like co- comes with sincerity and and not a lot of uh, his type of humor. I guess the only instances of that is uh, in the beginning where where Matsuyama's character arrives back and everybody stops in their tracks because he apparently looks so much like his grandfather and they they drop everything and essentially if it was a cartoon moment their jaw would hit the floor as well so eyes would bulge out and pop out yeah exactly 
not like the strongest moments of the film, but if you can pull anything like hmm, maybe Sabu, that, that's where he plays a little bit of something because it happens like three times. Like three people go, ah, oh my god, that, have you seen this shit? I mean, it looks so much like it. Sometimes I'm, I'm uh, I embrace simplicity so much in in cinema, and I'm, I'm jealous when certain directors can pull that off. Uh, like the, the, there's an example at the funeral where little Rin is um, running around. She's not sitting at the table where the adults are, and the adults are having these uh, kind of heinous uh, discussions about sort of disowning her and not uh, and, and finding her unacceptable. She she is seemingly not aware of what's going on, but uh, there is this uh, like beautiful little moment where camera zooms in on uh, the open coffin and on her, and that that's kind of like there's the maybe final farewell early in the movie, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it flashes to her grandpa doing gardening work, and she runs out to pick some flowers that we'll see uh, when she relocates. And uh, I don't know, John, I, I find those uh, moments could be awfully sugary, of course, when not done with uh, heart. But I think Sabu is... Uh, I, I kind of enjoy this side to him that we know it's Sabu. For him, like uh, Either the credit is before or, or after... The movies, uh, like the director by Sabu and in that familiar font, but I, I enjoyed him seeing tackling like this uh, simplicity, this dramatic simplicity that isn't about overstating things. I should say there are things la- later in the movie that are clearly overstated, but uh, I'll get to that uh, later. Um, so, so I don't know if uh, that's um, that's uh, appealing to you. As uh, I mean, is this kind of drama appealing to you to ask a like a simple but serious question? I think when it's done right, you know, just just like anything else, you know. I mean, like to paraphrase Duke Ellington, I guess when when he was asked, you know, like what kind of music do you like? He said, "Well, I like the good kind. I don't like the bad kind." Yeah. You know, it's like that. It's like, hey, if anything is done right, then it's good. You know. It's done poorly. Hey, you know, I mean, you know, as much as we like, you know, exploitation films, why not? You know, 90% of exploitation films suck. <laughs> you know, they're boring. They're not directed well. You know, the effects suck. You know, the characters suck. The acting sucks. You know, it's just that sometimes that 10% that we love so much that we, you know, hold so dear that, you know, kind of lets us get past that our 90% that really sucks. Right. So, you know, with that said, you know, yeah, I mean, the film you know, definitely has its moments um, where, you know, you can see something that's really, you know, there that it's almost like with with some of his earlier films, such as. uh, So, you know, it's almost like uh, with Blessing Bell, earlier film that we've talked about, the walking film, you know, it it has those moments, those really kind of, you know, simple and pure moments that they don't require any particular kind of acting or effects or anything. They're just, you know, simple everyday moments, you know, which is great. I think it's, it's really bolstered by the fact that he got some really good, good performances out of the children. But as you know, from being a film watcher, you know, you know, getting a good performance out of a child can be very difficult, especially in the case of, you know, this film, I think that, uh, you know, there's some really strong performances by the children. It's not, not to you know because the problem with you know having children film is that uh you know they they're kind of almost like a signal for the audience you know because you know as soon as they come out it'll be like oh they're so cute and hope nothing goes wrong with it. oh my god she's running away oh no you know it's it's a you know those are devices i think that you know help pull those emotional heartstrings you know sometimes and i think that you know with this film you know especially with you know the lead actress uh the little girl, uh, Mana Ashida is the name of her, um, is her name, you know, kind of balances that fine line, you know, because sometimes I thought 
man, this is really perfect. Like the scene that you said, you know, with the open coffin where she brings the grandfather's favorite flower. And we know that's, you know, so such a supposed to be a tear jerk, jerk type of moment, but it ends up being actually really genuinely pretty, you know, heartfelt, you know, which was great. Well, you know what he's doing well too? He's not directing and certainly not writing her as an extremely verbal child. Right. And that's what I think is one of the strong points as their relationship starts, you know, Matsuyama and hers relationship starts that she she's not um she has a little bit of cheery exterior but so maybe not aware of all things that's going on, but not uh, this um not that I'm saying this is bad or anything, but I like when you can work with uh, little and communicate uh, with less. Communicate a lot with less. Uh, and and in this case there are some very strong moments earlier. That is one when uh, they're hanging out uh, on the couch and eating, uh, her in the kitchen, and she makes, um, he says that, well, we got rice, we have nothing to um, serve uh, the rice uh, with, and not anymore, the meat is out. And then she makes little rice balls for him, like the, that she dips in soy sauce or something like that. And it's just like this this firm shot that runs a fair amount of time, and they're just uh, kind of just, uh, he's just observing her, and uh, she's not saying that, I'm making rice balls for you. Now we have food. It's not overstating all the moments. And I think Sabu is good at that. By now he's quite um, apt at uh, those uh, quiet moments. And uh, there, there's there's sometimes magic in cinema where you just let cameras run. And uh, not do tons of cutaways and uh, and blast the melodramatic soundtrack uh, on the soundtrack. Uh, those are strong like early points here that gets us into their relationships and i think it's evident early that they're good together i don't know how he's fared dramatically when when faced with that within other movies or dramas at all but i think he's very natural with her which Mm -hmm. is a key and that for me is why i felt touched by the movie at points because of their strong scenes together that sabu just kind of observes rather than like go all monday wild on us for this story so i think that's a good choice right well on the other hand though there were some scenes i thought where you know that that character you know uh, mana shida's character was almost like cloying you know where you know i could say that just you know subjectively because you know again you know i kind of feel like children in films can be used as a device you know to pull those heartstrings and there's a fine line between being genuinely heartfelt and being manipulated, you know, yeah, which is, yeah, yeah. you know, something that the film goer doesn't necessarily want to happen, you know. So, you know, whereas, you know, you, you mentioned there are some good scenes. I think there are also some scenes I felt that were a little like a uh, little too much in, in the saccharine sweet side, you know. So I think that sort of drops the film a little bit sometimes. The the stuff that didn't work for me, if bringing in that, is what I assume or half assume is connecting to the anime in a way, but I didn't really buy that. Matsuyama's character needs to have these big anime-style direction, uh, reactions every now and again. Uh, at one point, he's looking for... Um, well, he's not looking for... Someone says, uh, well, have you started looking uh, for a nursery yet to, or, or a daycare? Nursery! <laughs> like, his whole world goes into overdrive. And I, I think that's just... Uh, okay, okay, I, that's possibly from the anime. Fine, you, you connect it to the anime. But it's too much, man. It's too much. And it, there's several examples of... 
There, there's a very heartfelt scene later in the movie where he meets Rin's mother. And after that good scene uh, at a table, he goes outside and starts like, Oh, I hate her, I hate her, I hate her. Right. Wait, where does that come from? That you were so calm one minute ago. Coming from the, ma- from the mango anime or not, I, I think those are the moments where I was taken out of uh, a very calm movie that all of a sudden felt to be, wanted to be that intense and don't get me started on what the whole what his all that probably comes from the anime manga too but he, his dips into fantasy sequences dance sequences uh, he what he watches a newspaper and then we get a whole dance sequence i'm sure it's adapted from the source but it doesn't fit here that i thought was rather useless uh, uh, a rather useless few minutes you know it doesn't sound like it's too much but i think i didn't need that that uh, felt like um another type of uh, quirky movie and i'm not after a quirky movie here right but you know what that said I, I i really like the use of music in uh in those scenes even though they didn't fit the overall tone of the film you know i just thought you know the music really worked in in capturing you know that scene you know regardless of its uh, fit sure sure thing nothing wrong at all with the music itself uh, or i i don't know how to categorize it necessarily if it was like a flamenco thing or a tango thing or yeah, whatever and, and i think the the vocalist was singing german so it's like it's like it felt like German, yeah, German tango, like almost chanson type of uh, type of music. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. I read in the credits uh, the uh, because the music credits come up in English, obviously. So I remember a German title. So uh, I think okay. you're absolutely spot on. Do you think it at all like seriously comments on uh, <laughs> situations somewhere in Japan of uh, single fatherhood and the difficulties of that, or is just a, a part of this story? In this case, him trying to fit his uh, work day in and care for his uh, temporary temporary daughter kind of day do you think it at all is a current like comment on how difficult that is or it's just a p- part of the story in this case well i don't know if it's a comment but certain some certainly something that especially not a non-japanese audience might be interested in seeing you know obviously single parenthood uh, just like with in our countries is increasing in japan i think what's really kind of interesting that the non-Japanese audience might want to look at is the reaction of, or the more traditional reaction of, of uh, Japanese people to illegitimate children. Pretty horrible. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that's always been one of those um, skeletons in the closet for Japanese society, because obviously, I mean, you, you do have things like, you know, prostitution and you have, you know, hostess clubs, you know, it's, it's, it's called the, um, in, in Japan, it's called the water trade, basically. So there's a sort of like underbelly of Japan where, you know, naturally, uh, you know, sexual hookups happen and, you know, Ill- illegitimate children are born. I, I actually um, at one time had a uh, I went out with a girl who had an illegitimate child with um, with a uh, businessman who he just he, ne- he never cared for the child at all. If I contrast that experience with, you know, what I knew about Japan before actually going there, let's say when I was, you know, in my teenage years or something like that, you know, I would never expected something like that, that I wouldn't say it's, it's a problem so much as it's a topic that, uh, that Japan has to really, has really looked into. In fact, I think it was like, what was kind of interesting when, when I was watching this film, I sort of remembered back in the early 2000s, in fact, the uh, Supreme Court actually passed some laws that favored illegitimate children receiving inheritance from when, you know, the parents who, uh, who born them. That sounds like a legal battle that can go on forever, like uh, in one, like uh, from court to court. 
Right, but they they actually positioned that ruling as an anti-discrimination law. You know, obviously the illegitimate child at, at one point was being discriminated against because he or she could not receive inheritance from the parent who gave birth to them. That was a thought that came up that uh, I sort of recalled back when, you know, when I was in Japan, you know, and I was following the news. Another thing is about how children sometimes in general just can be treated. You know, traditionally, you know, in Japan, you know, children are seen as, you know, being pure and very, you you should take care of them. Obviously, every culture, you know, there's that kind of view. But I think in Japan, especially the, the you know, there's been this maintenance of the child being, you know, this pure sentient being, you know, you know, you contrast, contrast that again with, you know, the situation of, of uh, Mana Ashida's character being an illegitimate child. And, you know, suddenly we kind of, you know, that sort of traditional thinking about children suddenly goes out the door, you know, in some ways I kind of felt that Sabu's treatment of the the character kind of remind me a little bit of um i don't know if you've seen uh hirokazu koreeda's uh nobody knows that, that's another film actually I, the two films aren't similar because they deal with very different things bunny drop is more of a uh commercial you know adapted for manga uh, type of thing where nobody knows is kind of it's actually consciously dealing with a societal issue of uh, abandoned children, you know, but I kind of felt, you know, Sabu's treatment was somewhat like uh, Koreeda's treatment of children is, you know, to kind of spotlight this contrast of, you know, how we believe children are treated and how they're really treated. I think, again, pretty interesting, I think, for a non-Japanese audience or maybe even for a Japanese audience itself. Uh, another film that I would actually recommend that's kind of in the same vein. It's an older film. I think it's uh, it's from the early '60s. It's uh, by the director uh, Masaki Kobayashi, a classic uh, Japanese director. But uh, the, the title of it is uh, "The Inheritance." The situation is, um, you know, whether an illegitimate child of of this man on his deathbed should receive his inheritance. It's uh, I, th- I believe it's on um, on Hulu Plus. So it's a cri- Criterion t- title, then? Yeah, it's a Criterion title. Uh, they haven't released it on DVD, but I know I believe they have it in, in the collection that's on Hulu Plus because I thought I saw it when I was flicking through. That, that's a film also worth checking out for you know these kinds of um, these kinds of uh, cinematic looks at you know Japanese society and how how uh, children are treated. When looking over my notes, I, I certainly when I read about certain of their scenes together because there are a lot of one on one scenes between. Uh, between mm-hmm. uh, uh, Matsuyama and, uh, and our little Rin. And uh, I, w- when I read some of the notes, I think like, hmm, this kid is scripted as maybe being way too smart for a six, six-year-old. But on the other hand, when I'm watching the movie, she has a lot of uh, kind instincts to uh, that she shares with, like protective instincts with uh, one of the friends that she makes in the daycare. I certainly don't, I don't really mind anything that they throw at us until very late in the movie, and I, I think that that's not wise to even talk of, uh, because it's a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, I, I think Sabu does very, very well with the various busy day montages uh, with, with him running uh, to the daycare, and uh, <laughs> that was one of the only big reactions that I thought was funny, when he was running to the damn daycare, why is it so damn far away? Like, right. And so they, they did well, but she is, um, 
she they, they all continually very good together there's very scenes where he picks her up late at night and she embraces him and that's in my eyes in my opinion it really depends on the viewer of course if you think that is too sugar but i think sabu walks the line quite well i thought that was done with sincerity and it's due to i think the chemistry established earlier that bleeds into further moments he doesn't like lose track of maintaining this chemistry between the two and and even like one of the best scenes in the movie i think is uh when he and again maybe it's too sugary for you listeners but he's not afraid to be straight with her which is a good thing she asks um about uh where grandpa is and he doesn't make up a story about oh he's away on a trip or anything no he says to her not in a mean-spirited way but perfectly straight grandpa is in a grave but and he doesn't say this he just points to his heart so he says grandpa mm-hmm. is in a grave but he's in your heart still and i gotta tell you uh it, it works for me i think that's uh an example of being sincere doing it with heart but not overstating it either because he literally does not say in a dialogue for the latter half of that statement you know and it might sound like one thing that you oh yeah big deal one thing that was done great but i i think those moments can be very big for an audience and uh and they even have a little embrace afterwards but not a big old embrace where the soundtrack goes crazy on us with the strings or anything i think the soundtrack is very reserved as a matter of fact uh, um uh, very piano driven um, so i'm a fan of that not so much uh, when he the voiceover is boss but i'm not a big fan i'm not a fan at all when he does use it because that's a case of i know this what you're saying, I know perfectly well because you conveyed it perfectly well. Exposition dump. Yeah, but it's only two instances of it and it annoyed the crap out of me because why did you lose confidence in your product all of a sudden? We know that she is happy now. You don't mm-hmm. need to say that even if it's one sentence on the soundtrack. So we've talked before that voiceover is risky, but even one sentence can get my alarm going like, no, where did that come from? Who insisted on that? Like, but who knows? Do you think their one-on-ones, um, you know, throughout the movie work, or, or do you think it goes too um, too sweet and too um, too overstated even in some sections? Because he relies a lot on their one-on-ones. It's kind of a core of the movie. I think at times, you know, they are saddled a little bit by you know the fact that uh, you know it's an ab- adaptation of a manga that's not you know that has you know some real elements, but some, you know, very obviously, you know, um, written up moments. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, Sabu, at least in this film, and I think also we can say that about uh, next episode's uh, Miss Zombie, he has a good eye in these two films for the, the quotidian, you know, it's, um, you know, he, he can really capture, you know, the, the plane in the everyday life as, as opposed to, you know, his previous films were, which were, you know, mainly you know fantasy driven you know accenting on the ridiculous or the um absurd you know which again you know kind of you know along with you know blessing bell kind of displays his uh versatility which i think is uh great uh you know i mean i do have some problems with that as well you know as i mentioned because some of the moments are obviously written up you know and they're meant to you know, elicit something, you know, from the audience. And, you know, there's obvious commercial, I guess you could say, sheen on the film. At the si- at the same time, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, it, it, it's, this is the kind of product that it is, really. I mean, if you, you know, want to regard film as product, it's, it's a feel-good film that's, you know, meant to evoke some feeling and meant to, you know, echo back to, you know, the, its original product, which is a manga. 
you know, Sabu, I think, smartly pulls out all stops. I mean, he doesn't well, pulls out all stops to make it that kind of product, I should say, not all stops as to make it something different or wild. He obviously broke out the um, the soft filters. I mean, you can tell that the film is supposed to be a springtime slash summertime film. You know, I mean, you know, as soon as, you know, from the very first frame, I, you know, I saw, I looked down, I was like, well, this is going to be set in spring probably late spring, early summer, it looks like. And I expect to hear cicadas, you know, that kind of those little kind of touch points for uh, Japanese cinema to indicate, you know, what season it is. You know, he hit all those, you know, to his um, his credit. And, you know, of course, he basically follows along the story of the manga. The manga goes into different directions eventually. In fact, I'm not too sure how the film would be viewed if it had gone in the same exact direction as the manga because it kind of goes in these interesting directions that the film sort of hints at at certain points and maybe just as a film watcher, you might get them in the back of your head a little bit. You know, as far as making, again, a, a commercial product, I think that, um, you know, he wisely kind of stayed away from those sort of themes that eventually uh, do crop up in the manga. And I'm not sure if the anime does the same thing either. But but in any case, you know, like I said, I think it's a pretty solid, you know, commercial effort uh, from uh, Sabu. When I watched it, it was very like, I was very much involved in the moment. But I, I can't argue that it stayed with me emotionally for oh, like no. a couple of days or everything. But but like the the, the very well-paced, uh, some, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it was pretty brief, wasn't it? About the 100 minutes time that he offers up here is uh, absolutely uh, substantial for what it is. I mean, uh, Kenichi, I, I think he clearly feels the role. He feels like he is in real life is a little bit protective uh, of uh, his young co-star and and, and that's the, the emotions of like loving her and feeling overwhelmed quite well. It's just those big reactions you know when he's sitting at the computer and have looked up uh, her mother and just swearing at the computer. I just thought that was not it was it wasn't funny for starters, but it didn't fit. It didn't fit. I think I, I could probably live the rest of my life happy if I never heard uh, Kenichi Matsuyama say <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> do 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 you remember from your like Cliff Notes reading or your sports reading if that seems like Sabu trying to squeeze in the source material there just so people know that he's not making his own thing or or do you think it's just misguided in general? Yeah, I think he was being fairly you know true to the original source material you know the direction that the film goes in general it does not go in the exact same direction as the um, manga does so he sort of picks and chooses he obviously had the shape of a film in mind and he picked and chose you know the points that he from the manga that he wanted to basically assemble his own film you know, so it's it has some, you know, it's obvious that he, it has some of his signature points in it. You know, like you said, some of the uh, some of the uh, humor in the beginning, you know, there is some running. <laughs> I don't know if he did that because that happens, of course, in the manga, too. I think, you know, if you're a Sabu fan, you couldn't help but, you know, sort of remember some of the older films I think the the more weaker sections is towards like the the last four. For I mean, it wraps up fine, and even in a heartwarming way. But there there is some what seems like convention, conventional like story thread about some impending threat. You know, she goes missing at one point. I can say that. So I kind of felt that portion of the film. It it, it kind of felt like um like maybe they 
couldn't figure out exactly how to conclude the film. So they kind of rushed that part. Yep. You know, it's kind of, oh, no, she's missing. Oh, ooh. you know, it just seems sort of like uh, a little forced, I would say, you know. And again, maybe it's from the manga and anime, but um, um, who knows? I mean, I, I obviously don't know. But I think I, it all is, you know, I was left with a warm, fuzzy feeling. And I, I, felt, I was very touched at several points, uh, mostly because they're, one-on-ones are largely very very strong and he leaves uh, he leaves them to act and uh, it's a it's a rarity in today's cinema to see people acting uninterrupted and uh, without any frantic cutting and stuff like that i always appreciate that I, i've been alive that long where i've grown grown up through various stages of cinema how you shoot even you know dialogue and stuff like that like a, a still camera feels rare to me nowadays like uh, watching people act it drops in some um, voiceover again towards the end and some way to over, over the top reactions but uh, again it, it wraps up fairly nice and um i i think it was very solely without it being my favorite sabu movie but I, I did not think he this was a bad fit to anything i think he uh did well for as you said the product that it is and that's not a bad grade from um, from me actually you know, when all said and done, I think eventually when we look at uh, uh, Sabu's you know filmography, you know whether he you know retires or whatever passes on or something, we're just going to see this film and say, "Oh, that was the paycheck." <laughs> I mean, not that's I guess that's being a little um, acerbic, you know, by saying uh, it's, it makes me sound like kind of a jerk, but uh, you know, it's like to me, it was like, eh, it's okay. He did a commercial film. Are, are there like an overabundance of these kind of movies in uh, Japan both then and now? Like, is, is that like the go-to uh, thing for many filmmakers? Yeah, I, I think that's that's why I kind of have that uh, that sort of view because you know. I mean, whereas, you know, the film, I think it has a little more heart than the typical, um, you know, modern Japanese dramatic film. And it's directed so as well as the performances, you know, point toward it having that a little more heart. In the end, it's still kind of, you know, it was there, you know, that kind of film. You know, I saw it, you know, and it was nice. And therefore, once we can see it, because as for availability, this is well distributed, like hallelujah, Sabu movie that is well distributed in Asia anyway. It's on Japanese DVD and Blu-ray. Those editions do not have English subtitles, but the Hong Kong DVD and Blu-ray does. So they put up a panorama, I believe, in Hong Kong, which is uh, kind of a frequent uh, distributor of various Japanese movies in Hong Kong. So uh, there you go, you get English subtitles that way. And uh, the DVD looked fine, and I'm sure the Blu-ray uh, will replicate that quite Quite well too. This uh, this uh, soft focus movie kind of thing, I suppose. <laughs> One other ma- minor point that I actually liked, uh, I forgot to mention it, so I'll just do it now anyway. It's a very very minor section of the movie, but I like. I thought it was pleasant that there's a there's a streak in the movie where kind of mid twenties men gladly are sharing photos and stories of their daughters and or or, or their kids in general. I thought it was kind of cute, like these uh, factory working men. <laughs> That just gladly, like, uh, what about your daughter? How's your kid? Like, I, I thought I was sincere. Like, not that it's super rare in movies, but, uh, you know, good on them for, like, injecting a little bit of that stuff. So, And, 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 and it's also how it uh, kind of ends on that same theme, too. Yeah, I thought that really rang true to, you know, the Japanese uh, labor force in general. Because it is true that a lot of times if you're in, like, management or something that it's really hard to raise a family, you know, in, um, for example, um, I think recently, you know, the film that's become uh, really uh, popular is, um, 
uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, right? That's a documentary about the famous uh, sushi chef in uh, Tokyo. And, um, you know, one of the points that comes out in a lot of uh, talk about this film is, wow, look at all the sacrifice that he made to hone his art. You know, he basically gave up his family, you know, his kids. I mean, he didn't raise his kids. I mean, he he did, but, you know, he didn't spend as much time as he as a, a typical father, at least in the West would. To me, as, you know, someone who's been to Japan, has, you know, been around, you know, Japanese society or, you know, studied Japanese society, whatever, uh, had the exposure long enough, that's not really an, a completely uncommon thing, you know? There's a lot of... Um, who a lot of fathers who, you know, especially in the eighties during the, you know, so-called bubble era when the economy was, you know, just booming over in Japan, they sacrificed uh, their family lives essentially to, you know, provide for their family. You know, that's just how it is. And, you know, it's, it's kind of um, interesting to kind of see that sort of dichotomy of, you know, businessman who, you know, even though it's just a character, but the businessman who gives up that life to become a blue collar worker, just so he can provide for his daughter and be there for her, you know, which was a, you know, kind of a little bit of a saccharine moment when you think of it, but uh, it's also kind of rings true to, you know, how the, the, how working in Japan can be, you know, like, I mean, I've, my, me, myself, you know, I, I used to manage a, a school, uh, an English school there and, Sometimes I would put in 60, 70 hour weeks, you know, six, work six days a week. I didn't have family back then, thank God, because I wouldn't, I'd probably never be home to take care of them, you know, that kind of thing. It's just like, just like any salary man that's trying to get by, you know, nowadays, so. Indeed, but uh, let's, uh, that was the final point of it all. Let's uh, wrap this uh, whole up, uh, this whole episode up, but we have another one coming up before the Sabu series ends. And next time we conclude it with a look at his 2013 zombie movie of of sorts. I mean, the plot summary, if you read it, doesn't suggest a big old George Romero style or apocalyptic genre movie with uh, 100% gore 100% of the time or anything. It's um, it features zombies and it's called Miss Zombie. You you'll find out uh, how Sabu um, tackles this content. I wouldn't say genre, but he uh, he features the content that is uh, an o- it's oversaturated content nowadays but uh, he's not adding to it as such let's just say that uh, so that's the next episode we conclude uh, with that soul movie but uh, for now let's uh, wrap this up with some quick contact information again and this is Robert was Japan on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network our website podcastonfire.com uh, there's plenty of other shows for you to choose over there covering Hong Kong cinema Korean cinema and even ninja movies over there email us if you have any questions or feedback or comments podcastonfire at googlemail.com you can do the same over on Facebook uh, leave a like on our page and a comment on our page facebook.com forward slash puf network the discussion group where we do our main chat is called Podcast on Fire Network, so it's easy to find when you search on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. I write about Hong Kong movies and Taiwanese movies and uh, sleazy movies and various ninja movies at SoGoodReviews.com. And I video review my things over at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And you can subscribe to Japan on Fire on iTunes if you prefer to have your podcasts organized uh, that way. You can leave a star rating about uh, what you thought of the show, but uh, if you have a minute or two left over in your day, please leave a written comment as well if you uh, liked it, or even if you disliked it. And finally, if you just want to stream 
our shows. There's a very smooth way to do so. Stitcher Radio, either via, via their website. But the smoothest way to uh, experience Stitcher is through the applications available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And for reference sake again, uh, where's your URL for vCinema? We are located at vcinemashow.com. That's S-H-O-W. We're on Twitter as vcinemashow. And Ross on Facebook. All right, then we'll place those links in the show post. But for now, see you next week, listeners, uh, where we conclude our trip through Sabu's uh, filmography uh, up to this point. There will probably be a few more movies before it decides to pack it in. So who knows, we might return to check out the movie or two in the future. But for now, this has been our review and discussion of Bunny Drop. So I've been Kenny B and with me was Coffin John of V Cinema. So say bye, buddy. Bye, buddy. Bye, buddy.